scouted by a mysterious and futuristic record label, the Toho Gang finally make it big. Get ready for a new wave musical adventure with disco balls, zombies, and teleporting cars in this 80s spectacle. It's episode 52, The Legend of the Stardust Brothers. Welcome to another episode of Toho Yaro. I'm your host this episode, Joey Weiser, and with me are my usual co-hosts, Alex. Hey, Alex. Hey, Joey. And V. Hey, V. Hey, Joey. Hello. So uh, this episode, we are covering Legend of the Stardust Brothers from 1985. Um, we thought this would be a good one to cover because it's currently streaming on uh, Alamo Draft House's on-demand service. So uh, if you're listening to this <clears throat> around the time that we dropped it, or maybe even later, uh, check it out and see if that's available. Um, we wanted to catch it because we aren't sure what the time window for that is exactly. So uh, yeah, uh, give it a watch if you can. Um, but this isn't the kind of thing where there's like spoilers really to be had. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, and both of you, this is your first time seeing this movie, uh, correct? Yeah. I have yeah, never I, even heard of this movie. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. I only found out about it a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'd been seeing, um, it promoted by th- uh, Third Window Films, which is a British uh, distributor of Asian films, um, for a while because they are kind of responsible for uh, rediscovering it to some extent, and and they remastered this and and gave it its first like proper Blu-ray re- release. So they were like promoting it a lot and uh, and taking it around to festivals and stuff. And I was like, man, this looks great. Um, and then when they put out the Blu-ray, it ended up. Uh, they made it a region-free Blu-ray, so even though uh, England and, and the U.S. have different Blu-ray regions, I was able to uh, uh, import that and give it a watch, and I, I really loved it. Um, and uh, this is actually my third time watching the movie because just a few weeks ago, <laughs> kind of similar to what happened with uh, Godzilla vs. Megalon, uh, just a few weeks ago I watched this again um, as just sort of a... Like, like I needed my brain to have something to watch where I didn't have to pay very much attention because it was kind of on overload with uh, everything that has been going on. Um, so uh, this was a good one to put on and basically just kind of watch a bunch of music videos, <laughs> you know. And uh, I watched it again this afternoon, and I got to say, I, I feel kind of like I could watch this over and over again. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, as... For the staff, the the director is uh, Makoto Tezuka, who is the son of Osama Tezuka, um, who a lot of our listeners probably know who he is, but Osama Tezuka is the godfather of manga, the creator of Astro Boy and Blackjack, Jungle Jungle Upper Leo, uh, lots of titles, and he's kind of credited with popularizing a lot of the uh, visual look of what like anime and manga is known for with the big eyes and speed lines and things like that. Um, 
This is uh, Tezuka's first film. Uh, he has gone on to direct uh, several films and a number of um, Osama Tezuka adaptations, actually, some Blackjack TV episodes and a live action adaptation of uh, Barbara from 2019, so uh, pretty recently. Um, the story about how this movie came about is that uh, Makoto Tezuka met a musician named Haro Chikada um, who had made a soundtrack for a movie that didn't exist. And he thought that that was pretty cool and wanted to make an adaptation of the soundtrack, basically, um, and crafted a movie around the soundtrack and I think then re-recorded the songs with the different bands that uh, he brought in and stuff like that. And... Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. Tezuka was only 22 years old at this point and still a film student or right out of film school. I'm not sure. And uh, I think through his connections, uh, through his dad and, and uh, Chikata's connections in the creative community, they were able to pull uh, together like a lot of people. There's a lot of like notable manga author and musician cameos throughout this. Um I didn't write them. I know Monkey Punch is in it at one point, the creator of Loop <laughs> on the Third, and there's like a few others. Um, but as for the actors, uh, the cast of this movie are largely just musicians uh, that are, <laughs> you know, uh, standing in as actors as well. Uh, and a lot of their names are actually named after uh, their actual names, which I think is interesting. Uh, Shingo Kubota plays Shingo, the Stardust brother uh, that has sort of an inferiority complex. <laughs> um, Kubota is primarily a musician, um, member of a duo called Jazzin Park. And uh, <laughs> he, looking up his work, he's worked with uh, Momohiro Clover, who uh, you might recognize as having a Dragon Ball tie-in music video a few years back where they were animated and they were called Momo Euro Clover Z. Um, <laughs> and uh, Khan Takagi plays Khan, the cool, punky, pretty boy, uh, other Stardust brother. And uh, looks like he's mostly a hip-hop producer and DJ uh, these days. Uh, he's featured on the Beastie Boys song RRNN Straight Outta Shibuya. Um and is also featured on a Teriyaki Boys song with with Ad-Rock from Beastie Boys. Teriyaki Boys are a sort of like Japanese hip hop super group uh, put together by Nico, who's the man behind the Bathing Ape uh, clothing line. Um, and uh, Kyoko Togawa plays Marimo, the head of the fan club. She's an actress and a singer. Um, she uh, had acted uh, pretty early in her life as a child. She was in the 70s, an actress in like some tokusatsu stuff like Ultraman A and Kamen Rider Stronger. And before this, she'd been in a couple Torasan films, one in 1979, one in 1982, and seemed to continue working pretty steadily in films and TV. And uh, unfortunately, some sad news. In 2002, she died by suicide. In a sort of mysterious, nobody's sure why exactly, but she she hanged herself, which is really sad uh, and unfortunate because she's real kind of light in this movie. Um, as for uh, the the villain uh, Kaworu, the the sort of son of the mysterious uh, powerful man, <laughs> he's um, <laughs> played by a guy who just goes by the name Issei. And uh, he is the vocalist from a rock band uh, formed in 1984 called Dare Zibit that um, 
that uh, Wikipedia calls a visual K band, but they're maybe the super early roots of them. They just kind of look like a sort of sort of glammy rock band. Um, and uh, I wasn't able to find a ton of information on him personally, but it seems like Derzibet has um, been active for a long time. Their last studio album listed uh, on Wikipedia was in 2013. And uh, just this year, they contributed a track to a Bucktick tribute album. Their band and- name means the civet. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, like the cat. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I figured it sounded German to me, but I didn't look any (laughs) farther than that. (laughs) Um, And then the final cast member uh, who we may recognize, uh, uh, I didn't recognize him when I saw him, but uh, kind of looking back on it, I I could recognize that this is who it was. Uh, Kiyohiko Ozaki plays uh, Atomic Minami, the mysterious producer that launches the band. And he's the teacher, Mr. Togo from House, the teacher who gets turned into bananas. I would recognize um, those sideburns anywhere. <laughs> yeah. um, we talked about this guy in the house episode about how he, he is more of a musician than an actor. Um, uh, but I just wanted to add that when I was Googling him this time, the very first thing that popped up on Google was the Thomas, uh, the Thomas, the tank engine Wikia, because he's the Japanese voice of Billy two feathers, a native American character in, in, in the show. <laughs> 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 yeah, I thought that was important to note. Uh, since we basically covered him uh, in the house episode, you can look back on that. But um, so this movie is, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into it, but it's it's kind of just like I said, kind of a string of music videos with a plot kind of tying things together. And the plot itself is a fairly standard VH1 behind the music type story of a, of a band within, with some kind of wacky curveballs thrown in at the end, uh, especially. Um, and it's about Khan and Shigo, who are two indie musicians who are scouted by Atomic Productions, a big name futuristic music production company, and its president, Atomic Minami, uh, signs them under the conditions that they will be a duo and he will remake them as the Stardust Brothers. Uh, they bring along Marimo, a wannabe singer who volunteers to lead their fan club. And the Stardust Brothers are a big hit, uh, rocketing to number one. However, fame consumes them. So this this old story, uh, Khan falls into vanity and Shingo uh, completely self-destructs in booze and drugs. Um, meanwhile, some bigwigs approach Minami to try to use uh, his influence to sway the public under the instructions of the government. Um, they want him to promote uh, Kaoru, the son of a mysterious, powerful figure, and uh, promote the themes of love and peace. Um, after a disastrous live appearance, the Stardust Brothers are out, uh, and Kaoru is in, uh, becoming more and more popular, as well as Marimo, who has now become uh, an idol herself. Uh, Kaoru, though, is fearing that uh, his moment in the spotlight is nearing its end and wants to seduce Marimo in order to create a scandal. Um, She's taken to a hotel to meet him, but she escapes. Khan and Shingo run to her rescue and they all flee uh, Kaoru and some atomic goons. Um, And this is when we learn that Kaoru's mysterious father is 
Adolf Hitler <laughs> in a strange, strange, unexpected twist for sure. Um, and he wants to use Atomic's influence to rule Japan. Um, then the entire cast, as well as the sort of ragtag mob of weirdos and punks, are magically transported to Hitler's office and they create a bunch of chaos uh, until Kaoru attempts to shoot Shingo dead. Uh, however, uh, Mianami, the producer, uh, takes the bullet instead, and we learn that they are actually brothers, and he is their father. And uh, at this point, the narrative's basically over, and we return to this framing device that it opened with, where the Stardust brothers are on stage telling their story to um, a crowd, and uh, then they are both shot dead on stage. Uh, they walk off into space spiritually and the crowd applauds <laughs> the end. <laughs> um, so, uh, V, what did you think about this movie? I liked it a lot. It wasn't quite what I was expecting from the, uh, from the descriptions. Um, most of the descriptions uh, talked about it being kind of similar to Rocky Horror and it's definitely mm-hmm. got that kind of madcap attitude. Yeah. But honestly, it reminded me way more of like the Mighty Boosh. Okay. <laughs> With just like both the, the characters' personalities, but just how like everything just has its own internal logic as you move from from scene to scene. And mm-hmm. it never feels like there are any real stakes. Uh, but you're just kind of watching things unfold and these goofy characters in these situations. Uh, but it is, it is really fun. There's a lot of really good music. Uh, I was impressed. Yeah, the music's great. Yeah, it, it's kind of weird how it kind of swings from these very like uh, kind of looking like it's sets that are thrown together with scotch tape and filmed in a office building that they had permission to use for the afternoon to these like fully produced music videos that were pretty like lavish and, and looked really cool. Um, Alex, what did you think about the movie? Um, I thought it was wild. I loved it. Um, I think within the first five minutes, I was like, oh man, I'm super on board. <laughs> uh, the the um, announcer guy uh, who um, announces them at the beginning of mm-hmm. the movie uh, reminded me of Inazuma from One Piece. Oh yeah. <laughs> Had that two-tone tuxedo mm-hmm. and the two-tone makeup it was really cool um i saw the movie like i was sort of dissecting a little bit as i was watching it and it definitely seems like a really cynical look at the music industry yeah sure uh especially with all the like given the lyrics of all the songs mm-hmm. and where they're placed and i think it's really neat that the songs sort of take the place of any narrative that's happening oh yeah like when he's uh like when he's drunk and they're trying to bring him to the music venue like that whole thing uh that like all the lyrics are basically um singing his internal monologue kind of thing i i thought it was really clever uh i thought that it was also very confusing at times but mm-hmm. i was completely on board just because of how pulp it felt and by pulp i mean like uh, more like camp actually like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of like if like John Waters directed a Japanese film or something. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting what you say about the the songs and the lyrics like telling the story. It's very interesting to learn that this was kind of reverse engineered from an album uh, and then a movie was kind of written around it because I think a problem that I have a lot of the times with musicals is that 
the plot will be happening, and then the songs will just kind of reiterate the information you already know from the plot. And in this, it was kind of, I feel like it. they kind of were working equally as hard, <laughs> you know, uh, or equally as lightly, maybe, you could say. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, like, it is sort of a musical in that way, though, right? Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, it's letting the music do the work for it. For sure. Um, yeah. How familiar are you two with trauma, uh, trauma films? Moderately. Oh, Okay. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, same. Toxic Avenger, Tromeo and Juliet, Surf Nazis mm-hmm. Must Die, Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD. <laughs> these these oh, kinds God. of movies Man. are what in high school uh, some friends of mine and I were like really, really super into. And that's like the closest analog that I can uh, pull. And also it has like a very like similar feel to those as well as kind of early John Waters films too. Like this mm-hmm. thing that I've really never seen. And it might just be a case of not seeing a lot of like, um, low budget indie films from Japan, but like it really has that scrappiness. Uh, like I was mentioning, uh, where like scenes are kind of clunky and, and, and like V was saying, like there, there's a lot of things that kind of internal logic that, that function within a scene and then are kind of thrown out and stuff like that. And that's really the, the vibe I get from it, which I think is so fun. But like the thing about it is that it looks like they had fun making it, you know, like, yeah, it just looks like it was so much fun, especially like (laughs) all those like scenes of like crowds with people dressed up in crazy costumes and stuff, just running around and kind of screaming and stuff. Like you could just tell that they were having a blast. Um, yeah. I, uh, the, uh, the group of like fangirl grandmas, <laughs> yes. uh, really, oh my God. That, that's very much feels like a John Waters type thing <laughs> where it's just like, we raided the nursing home for extras. <laughs> yeah. That was so funny because like they, they, throughout the whole movie, it was always like teen girls, uh, screaming and running and stuff. And then just in that one scene, it's like, now they're a bunch of old people. <laughs> there are a couple old lady fangirls in the music club. Uh, mm-hmm. in a couple scenes, but there's not like an a giant <laughs> horde of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I felt like there were a lot I, of similarities I, to house as well. Uh, mm. the sort of aspect of having like an amateur cast and the sort of throwing <clears throat> disjointed stuff at you. But I'd say that you can feel the difference between Tezuka being a 22 year old student and Obayashi having a lot more experience when he cr- created house that I think house seems a lot more well-crafted, uh, whereas this is a little bit more uh, slapdash. Um, I don't know. I feel like the there's a lot of the weird stuff in this is actually in service of, like, moving a scene to where they want it. Like, mm-hmm. the turbo boost on the car is like, okay, we're kind of done with the, uh, <laughs> with the car chase. Let's just have them get away really fast and then get to wherever we need to go, or them getting in the teleporting car to underneath... Hitler's desk yeah. like that that's not just like the banana thing where you you just see it and you're like what what the fuck was that about <laughs> that's it is true. actually like <laughs> to a point of like we need to get everybody into this scene together um and so like I feel in in a way it's actually a little more coherent than house is mm. uh even though there's maybe like more goofiness yeah to it yeah yeah uh yeah uh, maybe maybe house feels more 
consistent, like not necessarily story wise, but just kind of the vibe. Mm-hmm. Whereas the vibe on this is kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, but which is great because there's like there is like a horror movie section with a bunch of crazy like creature effects and stuff. And then there's also just like dancing around with lights and, you know, there's just all sorts of different uh, kinds of things. Uh, they really, really kind of want to like I think that's that film student kind of thing of like really wanting to flex and show that you can do uh, everything. Um, yeah, the movie kind of functions as a series of vignettes almost. Mm hmm. That bit where um, the guy, uh, I think one of the zombies' heads just sort of opens up from the eyes up. <laughs> yes. I, I thought that was really, really good special effects. Like, I yeah. was really blown away by the fact that, hey, this is from 85, and I thought that was a guy's actual head. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, like, and for a low-budget, like, movie, that was uh, that was really impressive. Yeah, all, well, those, all those monster creature effects were, like, really good-looking. Uh, go ahead. Uh, what little reading I could do. This apparently had a, a decent budget mm-hmm. uh, behind it, but they obviously spent most of it on shooting the music videos and not those interstitial parts. But yeah, mm-hmm. the, the creature <laughs> effects are really good. Like the lady when her head first comes off and it's the weird proboscis monster is was actually like gr- grotesque and horrifying. Yeah. And that like weird shot of uh, later in that same thing where he's being eaten and mm-hmm. you get oh like inside the guy's mouth and he's got this like crazy <laughs> monster tongue throat thing. <laughs> Absolutely. it's And it's wet too. Yeah. Like it, I, I, a lot of care was put into that. Uh, it's it's I want to know what the budget was on this movie. Yeah. I don't, I don't have that at my fingertips, but yeah. That's crazy. I, I think it was Do you, decent. Uh, now, yes. Um, do you think that he was influenced at all by his father when it came to making this? Because uh, there's a couple instances. There's a couple instances where uh, it definitely seems like it's out of um, a manga panel, mm-hmm. like where he's like Marimo, and you see the <laughs> actually actual footage of Marimo yeah. moss balls in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or turtle, and there's like a little thing. <laughs> yeah, and and man, speaking of like that weird kind of awkward trauma john waters vibe those those guys those thugs those like leather the like security guys for atomic were just so funny because they were just so scrappy it was such a big empty hallway they obviously uh i don't know it just doesn't feel as like tight as as you would see in another movie and those two guys were like they reminded me of the like stupid like narrator goons from uh frank miller comics from the uh, batman um, what is it? Dark Knight Returns, mm. uh, where you have these sort of um, <laughs> cyberpunk guys being like, "Oh, I heard that." Blah 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 blah. Like that, it was the same kind of thing. These kind of two dumb guys in leather jackets and and uh, sunglasses uh, being being dumb. But uh, yeah, I they don't know. both look like Razor Ramon Hard Gay, which <laughs> like this this movie predates that bit from that comedian, as far as I know. But I don't know if that was if they're. Uh, like contemporarily or contemporary with the movie parroting uh, gay subculture Mm -hmm. at the time or not, because they, I don't know, they've got really goofy personalities as well. And I couldn't really get a read on that. Yeah. I read them as kind of dumb thugs, but um, that that's possible. There were like a decent amount of homophobic jokes in this, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) which, uh, you know, it's just what it is. Um, but it wasn't, it was never like, 
a long prolonged thing it was usually just a comment that somebody would make or or something like that uh real quick and a lot of times it came from shingo so it was kind of nice that it would always come from this guy who was sort of detestable at least in my (laughs) so i was a little confused i wasn't sure if the guy that you see with minami like sort of closest to the beginning when minami's looking out the window uh, with the pierced nipples, if that was Khan or not, he looks like Khan, but I don't think it. it I don't think it's supposed to be. But they just happen to have a guy that like looks like Khan. I think. Yeah. So I I didn't know if that was like a portrayal of like oh this is, well the only reason I want you as uh, as uh, as an act is to groom you. Mm-hmm. But then of course the the ulterior motive is um, was revealed <laughs> at the end, which is it doesn't make too much sense, but sure. I mean, yeah. The the reveal of that they are actually brothers and the music producer is their dad is really funny because that's the cover story that he makes up for their group at the I beginning know. of the movie yeah. when it's first introduced. <laughs> and in my head, I was like, is he just like, is this just like the, the thesis statement of the movie? And it turns out, yes, yes, it is. It's funny. They do that a couple because th- at the very beginning, they also basically tell you the plot of the movie. Like uh, when they're on stage talking to that black and white audience, like they're basically like, here's the story. And then it plays out and he does that. And then there's that part, too, where he's just kind of lays it all out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. So. Talking about favorite parts of the film, I figure if we want to talk about something else, you can. But I, I want to at least uh, maybe get a favorite musical number from each of us, because um, it seems like that's the stuff that's the most worth uh, kind of picking out. Um, so, uh, Alex, what was your favorite musical number? Oh, God, there is every one of them has such a a different like a different feel to mm-hmm. it. Um, the one that I probably like the best though, is their, uh, it's their, um, Hey, we're famous now montage. Yeah. Um, there's technically two of them, I guess, but the first one where they're becoming um, famous or where they're being, yeah. uh, where they're on top. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, where they're on top. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the, the thesis of that song is, um, yeah, uh, when you're when you're at the top, you can only go down, and you have to sing the same song over and over and over <laughs> yeah. to remain famous or something like that. And I thought I I well th- well one I thought that was a really poignant uh, song, but two um, the visuals I thought were really really cool. Um, I wish I could read Japanese um, to a a better degree than just a few katakana because um, when they're going up the stairs. Uh, it's like they're climbing the charts, and I wanted to see the other artists. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that would be interesting to see. I haven't, I didn't uh, try to if they're real or fake or <laughs> yeah. Also, um, as of this week, I'm just now getting into city pop, and now I'm I'm I'm, oh, I'm yeah. wondering that uh, like oh, I wonder if there's any artists on there. <laughs> Tetsuro Yamashita <laughs> is he is he on there? <laughs> uh, what about you, V? Um, my favorite scene and my favorite song are both the opening of the film. Oh, okay. Uh, the actual Stardust Brothers title track mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, is my favorite. I, I like the, the actual like video portion of that song. You get a good idea of their like individual personalities in that. And I there's there's some other good songs, but I think that one was was the catchiest to me. Yeah. Um, 
But I also like that scene a lot when dur- during the parts where they're like talking at the audience, it's very like Monzai act. And <laughs> yeah. I, I like I love that. the fourth wall breaking when he's like, what did these people come here? here for today and he's like well to watch a movie and he's like shush shush taboo 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 yeah yeah they yeah it's funny because yeah that they don't uh, maintain that vibe between the two of them throughout the movie itself but as a thing that's kind of separate as a framing device uh it makes sense for them to sort of go full manzai and talk to the audience too, kind of like rag them a little bit um Whenever I see something like that in a movie that um, has been translated in English, I always um, really appreciate it because uh, if there's any like cultural, uh, not I wouldn't say blind spot, but if there's anything uh, from Japanese culture that I really would like to see more of translated and, and explained is manzai. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's I really appreciate the timing of stuff like that and. Um, I don't know who would be out there to to publish that kind of thing, um, just just because I you know Arrow and Criterion and and all those other all those other guys usually just do movies, but I, I would love to see some Monzai uh, acts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's there is like a I don't know if people are still really into this, but I think there was a period of time where people were fan subtitling a lot of like variety show stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And like downtown, the 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 comedy group uh, and the weird stuff that they do, and a lot of that stuff I found on YouTube or in other places, um, and that's kind of manzai adjacent. Uh, gives you that kind of pure Japanese humor stuff that you don't get a lot of the times in like anime or something like that. Yeah, the guy who um, does Brooks' voice in One Piece, Cho, is a. Mm-hmm. Uh, the entire reason that his name is Cho is because that was the character that he played like on an NHK um, like uh. show for a really long time, just like a, a character that he made up. Yeah. And um, and that just became his stage name. And I was on YouTube trying to look up like old Cho sketches, <laughs> and I couldn't find anything because I didn't know what to search. <laughs> yeah, I didn't look in to see if he if this was actually him, but there's a moment where they're on a variety show and they're next to a guy with sunglasses who's like the host. And I think that might be this guy whose name I think is Tamori, who I've seen like host some stuff and he has a very distinct look of this sort of dude with sunglasses that looks like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite my favorite songs uh, kind of removed from the visuals are the two ones that Minami sings. Um, the producer. Oh, yeah. I think those are just kind of, those really like get me. Um, and his kind of big emotional moment at the end is is moving and stuff. Um, but I think as a whole, like taking the video and the songs into uh, consideration, I love the one-two punch of the two songs where they're uh, running away from Kaoru and uh, that's probably the part that gets me the most excited because there's like this crazy chase sequence and they get like dressed up in those wedding outfits mm-hmm. and there's the car uh that that we were talking about earlier that can teleport and there's also that part where the car like f- like they go off a cliff and it just goes flying through the air but then they land and and they're fine it's very like looney tunes and oh and the part where they're like falling down the stairs and they turn into a giant boulder and yes <laughs> like, yes marmo's superpower she just turns into a ball <laughs> yeah. like her namesake <laughs> it's so I good do love, um 
that was an honorable mention for me. I, I couldn't decide whether that or the other one was my favorite, honestly, just because that the scene where they're just an amalgamated ball of people <laughs> and it's mostly wedding wedding dresses. <laughs> yeah, that's got a good like breaking the cool guy veneer part where Kaoru is about to be flattened by the ball and when he turns around and he has this like panicked look in his eyes it's very very satisfying um <laughs> but um uh did you have any other favorite parts that you wanted to mention alex since i kind of like uh twisted it a little bit uh well it's funny you mentioned that just because that's the i couldn't think of any other way to do this just because there's so much of what happens in this movie are you know are the songs mm-hmm. right like that's those that those are the moments yeah that yeah those are the favorite parts really i mean unless uh, unless v's got one but um yeah i didn't really have anything outside of the music videos that stuck out to me as being like better than the actual songs mm-hmm. um you get some some good like villain menacing from Kaoru, but it doesn't like i i, I definitely think all of the musical numbers are actually more entertaining than that. Yeah. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about the, uh, I can't remember his name, the atomic, their, their dad. Mm -hmm. Um, that first song that he does, uh, when they sign, uh, his, his vocals on that have like a kind of Roy Orbison twang to them, <laughs> yeah. which apparently he's a country singer. So that makes sense. But yeah. like it's, he, he's just got a really good, like vocal timbre, I guess. Uh, it's really pleasing. I like that song a lot too. Yeah. If of anybody like, and you know, I've seen this a few times, but I haven't done the homework, but I, I, I decided today that he's the one, uh, Ki, Kiyohiko Ozaki that I'm definitely going to be looking up and seeing if I can find any music of his, like, uh, his music that he, he mm-hmm. puts out, you know, and see what that's, that's all about because, uh, I loved his song, both of his songs so much. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, shall we dance an American oh, remake? Wait. Oh, oh, go ahead. Uh, the, you remind me of the second song. I, I don't like the song as much, but I like the framing of as he's dying, he's like being escorted up this stairway to to a star to go to heaven yes. and die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like it, incredibly good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 so good. I, yeah, I love that, you know, they're the Stardust Brothers, but at the end he's like, I'm the star. <laughs> um, I, I did, I, actually, that particular part it made me wonder, like, for a half second, like, is that a dig at his dad? Like, is that a dig at Osamu Tezuka a little bit? Mm. Like, I don't know if they had a, a strained relationship or, or whatnot, but it, it did make me wonder, like, are you, are, are we straying away from uh, the the music industry allegory. Are you saying that the <laughs> producer is the real like you know? Oh well, it doesn't matter who's who's the idol. I'm the real. Uh, mm. I'm the real top <laughs> banana here. Possibly. Uh, it was either. Yeah, I, I think that's sort of like that's sort of what I was inferring. But I also don't like I said. I'd like to find out a little more about uh, his relationship with Osamu uh, uh, Tezuka, just because that scene was. I don't know. It, I, I guess I'm I'm uh, I read in, into things in a way that uh, a Wes Anderson fan usually does. <laughs> like, oh, this movie is about daddy issues. Like, <laughs> well, like, uh, I think the the most like famous uh, Japanese father son relationship uh, along these lines is definitely like Miyazaki and his son, and, and th- yeah. that <clears throat> is famously contentious. Um, it, 
due to a large part the fact that Miyazaki was like a workaholic and I don't know about Tezuka and his son but I do know that Tezuka was a workaholic as well um, yeah big time yeah, big working time. on multiple comics at the same time and there's that documentary that's really great um, about him where you literally are seeing him just like working while multiple editors are like banging on his door and stuff <laughs> but um, yeah um, yeah so I, I, I think it's you know it's pretty safe to guess that that might be the case, but it's it's hard to say for sure. Um, yeah, there's some special features on the disc. I didn't rewatch them this time, but I did kind of note that they would bring up Te- uh, Osama Tezuka. But uh, I think that the son is doing that thing that is totally understandable, where he he's trying to not really make it that much about his dad. Um, yeah, uh, and just sort of be like I'm my own creative force, but. You have to imagine, especially with the amount of cartoonists that are spread throughout this, like that, that, (laughs) you know, uh, his dad was involved in some way or he at least like knows has this network of people because of his dad. Um, So, uh, yeah. So uh, as far as an American remake goes, I mean, like we were saying, this is this is kind of the, the music is what makes this worthwhile. So and the story is so simple. Uh, and it has been told uh, basically without, you know, Hitler and, <laughs> and hearts on the wrong side of the bodies and stuff like that. It's basically been told so many times that I don't really see the point in remaking this. Um, I, I, what would you guys think about that? Hmm. Um, I think that if this were remade, uh, it would have to retain a lot of that scrappiness. Mm-hmm. I would love to see it as a trauma. <laughs> as a trauma movie i am um, uh please lloyd kaufman if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> figure that out um I, I think that uh hmm in terms of making a movie about uh, you know being uh, the cynicism of uh of the music industry and um and how it chews you up and spits you out and oh there's always an ul- ulterior motive i think that is a pretty that's a pretty easy thing to do uh and i also feel like there have been plenty of american movies that have done something similar Mm -hmm. but there's so much personality in this movie Mm -hmm. that i that would have to like if it were remade whoever was directing it would have to put their own spin on it for sure like you can't yeah i I feel like you'd have to have a bunch of musicians make their own new songs and then make a movie around it. And then at that mm-hmm. point, it would almost be a completely different movie rather than a remake. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So when you mentioned that, uh, you know, this was this, the soundtrack for a movie that had not been, you know, released, mm-hmm. that reminded me of, uh, have you ever heard of the Olivia Tremor Control? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking of music from the unrealized uh, film script, Dusk, Dusk at uh, Cubist Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what that is supposed to be. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. And I think it would be really boss if I mean, if that was the uh, if that was the backdrop for the um, for the quote unquote remake of this movie. But well, songs are very different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, um, yeah. Watching this, like I said, it it reminded me a lot of Western things already. And I, th- in part because of rock and roll, but especially like the, 
the combination of musical and comedy, I was thinking a lot about the Mighty Boosh and Flight of the Concords. Mm-hmm. And so in my head, uh, and I think Alex will get on board with this, I was just seeing Shingo as Julian Barrett, Khan as Noel Fielding, and then uh, their dad, Atomic Minami, is obviously got to be Matt Berry. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Doesn't matter that they're all the same age. <laughs> Rich Fulcher is his uh, is his little uh, lackey. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be that'd be good. Um. All right. Well, uh, Takashi Shimmer Award, um, outstanding scene stealing performance. Um, v, who would you nominate for that? Um, I saw a lot of people when when reading about this talk about how scene stealing uh Kaori is as, as a character and Issei is as a performer and he's got some good swagger to him but he like those few scenes he's in he maybe doesn't have that much to work with mm-hmm. um but the, who really like drew my attention every scene even though he he's got less to do than Shingo is Khan mm-hmm um, just like his constant preening that mullet of his, which like that's the only like decent the the new wave flippy mullet is the only kind of good mullet, <laughs> IMO. Um, but his constant preening, the way that he like cavorts around on stage, was just like very charming and captivating to me. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. He's he's magnetic. Uh, definitely my favorite of the two brothers but Shingo is you know kind of a you know (laughs) insufferable guy uh, in a lot of uh, instances but you also kind of get why Shingo feels that way because he's far less charismatic yeah (laughs) yeah Um, their um their their relationship sort of reminded me of um um, uh, kamikaze girls mm. in that like they clearly come from different worlds and they have different swagger to them like just just in terms of that like not they weren't like, you know, they didn't come from completely different worlds. As you find out later in the movie that they both have the, <laughs> their heart on the wrong side and uh, that they were both abandoned. And then, of course, you find out that they're both Minami's son. Yeah, I, I do like when you when we flash back to their first performances, like we see that Khan is this like hard rocker guy and Shingo's. Shingo's band looks like a bunch of like people going to a Yale football game in 1920. The supercars. The supercars. And then he goes out and does like rips his shirt off doing this ballad. And it's, I expected it to be more like straight lace kind of yeah. like 1950s rock and roll given the way his band looks. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think they do a really good job of selling them coming from like different styles. Mm hmm. I do. Um, I do want to see a separate movie about the supercars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what happened to them? <laughs> uh, well, one of I them was, becomes the new assistant to Kaoru. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. The uh, the the guy that looks like uh, what's his name? My camera's name. Asano uh, Tadanobu. <laughs> uh, no, I was I was thinking of uh, the Evangelion guy. <laughs> oh, remember. like Ano Shinji. Yeah, he looks like Ano to me. <laughs> Shinji. <laughs> you know who Shinji is. <laughs> you know, the, the Evangelion guy. I hate that I remember well, speaking of anime Kaoru, character names. That's what I keep thinking of every directors. time I say uh, Kaoru is Ava. But um, uh, Alex, uh, who did you think stood out in this movie? 
Uh, Atomic Minami. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I I did think about Kaoru, actually, um, just because he de- definitely has this, um, to bring up another Tezuka reference, uh, he definitely has the, hey, look at me, I'm rock, I'm mm-hmm. bad. Uh, um uh, look about my him. favorite like if he- moment with him just like visually is when he, he gets like wrapped up in the blanket from the bed uh, that he was trying to seduce Marimo on. And as he's chasing her, it becomes like a Dracula cape basically. And yeah, it yeah. looks like a hopping vampire. Yeah. Those shots of him. Yeah. Cause he was already kind of wearing a black and white uh, Chinese style uh, outfit. And uh, when she's, he's that shot of him like chasing her down the hallway he just looks really great. <laughs> you tweeted that. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, that's another thing that like would prop up in Tezuka's manga too. Like, if it like perhaps this you know this uh, blanket turns into a vampire cloak, mm-hmm. you know he's a vampire for two panels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, uh, but go ahead. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. So I I did definitely did think of him just because he's like even though he shows up like halfway through the movie. He definitely uh, has uh, this energy to him. He has a, he has a fire, um, but Minami is so good, and I think it's it's probably due to his um, his first appearance where he's just <laughs> behind, like he's in front of the triangle, and that's all you see. It's just a really cool shot, and it's very commanding, and uh, because of his uh, very stringent negotiation tactics he lets you know that he's the boss and then he bursts into this uh this song and uh i mean and of course it helps he has a good voice too but um he's not not hard to miss whenever he's on screen he's the really imposing big dude with sunglasses (laughs) (laughs) yeah with that that very clear uh well, I love just when he says Stardust Brothers, the very like yeah. clear <laughs> voice English. that that like cuts through the like rest of the song and stuff. Yeah, he, he's he's great. I also like that scene when he first appears is uh, the, the menacing look with the light reflecting off his sunglasses. But that whole scene is the closest this movie gets to, I think, like 70s, a little sci fi dystopian mm-hmm. like 70s rock opera from the west and it's got that little like robot buddy elsewhere in the office <laughs> i and love I, was, uh, I just love when shingo gives him his mixtape and he like blows it up with a laser <laughs> i know it's so good i wish they had leaned more into the like i was, I was hoping for more of like the apple or something mm-hmm. in this but it goes in a different direction which is still good <laughs> by the way when everybody's like in the office of uh what turns out to be Hitler. Um, they're like, they're, you know, they're like basically uh, kissing his finger theoretically and, and, you know, oh yeah, soon you'll rule the world and stuff like that. And I'm like, who is this Giovanni from Pokemon? And then he turns around and it's Hitler. I'm like, oh wait, that's much worse. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That was a possibility, uh, but no. Um, yeah, it predates Pokemon by uh, by eighteen years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, it's at this. We're at a point where, like, you know, LOL Hitler kind of drives me nuts a little bit. But like, I love his horrifying mask. Like the mask no, is grotesque. Is so good, so bad looking, and the fact that he basically doesn't do anything. He just sits there and is just like, um, I, I. Yeah, I, I kind of love uh, his inclusion in this and how he's just a sort of 
prop and he seems kind of ineffectual um but also menacing just because you know who hitler is um yeah (laughs) anyway the uh he turns around so slowly that I'm like, that kind of looks like Hitler. Wait, that really looks like Hitler. Oh, it's supposed to be Hitler. And then you're like, like oh, is that a swastika in the background? <laughs> it's it definitely like, it, it wasn't even a slow burn. It was like a slow, like, I don't know. Yeah, no, it always makes me go like, wait, how long was that uh, swastika flag visible? And I just didn't uh, notice it the first time. But um yeah, so for the uh, Seymour Award, um, I first, I just want to shout out uh, Kyoko Togawa, who plays Marimo, um, mm-hmm. because we haven't talked about her too much, but she's really, really, like I said, that she kind of lights up a scene. She's she's very, uh, she's really great. And speaking of uh, City Pop, her song is one of my favorites, too. Uh, it's a fun. Oh yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's her like, song is great. The outfit is great. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's not a super. It's just her performing on stage. Um, so it's not like a crazy thing with like animation and zombies and stuff. But like um, that song and yeah, the outfit and her look and everything is is, is so good and she's really great. Uh, but I also uh, would give this uh, to Minami to Kiyohiko Ozaki uh, because he. Yeah, he he had all my favorite songs, and um, my I love how menacing he looks with those shades. But when he takes off the shades in that final song, and is like really really selling the sort of like tragedy of what he is telling them, uh, and he's got the blood coming out of his mouth and everything, and he's like holding his side where he's been shot. Uh, he just I feel like his performance in terms of acting is 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 at a higher level than a lot of the people in this movie um in that moment especially he's really great um yeah uh does anybody have any other things that they wanted to bring up before we close this out uh i'm surprised that none of us have talked about the short little animation Mm -hmm. bit when shingo is in his drug trip after he gets swallowed I loved that. Um, yeah, it's it's short, uh, but very interesting. I like the style, and I like the way they transition out of it by doing like a very house style, like, like the movie House, not like mm-hmm. house style, but yeah. <laughs> very very like the movie House. This melding of that kind of like animation frame with real life lighting behind it, and he like shatters through glass to get back to the real world. Yeah, I think it was really cool. I think it looks really great. And, you know, speaking of Tezuka, it was, it's exciting to see a little bit of cartoon in this. But, like, and it's kind of unexpected. Like, um, it's really them saying, like, well, we can do anything in this movie. We'll even have a little bit of animation, but it's going to look... It looks rough, probably just due to, like, time constraints. But, like, I think that it matches the feel of everything else. Um, yeah, a friend of mine uh, saw this recently and said that she wished it was uh what 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 did she say she she said she wished there was more animation basically and said that it wasn't quite as wacky as she had been hoping for and i was like well i think the movie's plenty wacky um but um i i like the animation is just kind of like a little spice rather than uh Mm -hmm. being something that's like carried throughout the whole uh the whole thing sort of like in kill bill like Mm. there's that very brief anime sequence yeah (laughs) (laughs) And at the time, I was like, well, I wish this whole movie was in. <laughs> no, no. 
but I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I love this movie. I think uh, it's really fun, and <clears throat> I think that it's a great thing to watch when you just need to have something light. Um, and uh, the soundtrack's really great, and um, and that's the thing that I really love about um, uh, Third Window's release of it is they included a, a CD soundtrack as well as a Blu-ray and DVD, so uh, I get to jam to the tunes whenever I want. Think about this. But, uh, yeah, I'm about to go evangelize this to all of my like, not necessarily like I've got a bunch of friends who are into cult film, not necessarily Japanese stuff, mm-hmm. but they really need to know about this movie because like I, like I said, I didn't know about it until a couple months ago. Um, and the fact that it is available to watch is mind blowing. Um, but yeah, another thing I wanted to mention is that even though this was made in 1985, aside from the musical styles, it seems weirdly timeless because there's mm-hmm. some like fashion choices maybe that dated a little, but everything is so like crazy avant-garde fashion. It could be like, who knows when? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could it could be throwback fashion or it could be just, you know, in this scene, somebody's got a crazy hat or something, but... Um, yeah, it feels it feels um, like it could have been made uh, in multiple times as long as they just had uh, the right number for their budget and stuff. <laughs> um, great. Well, uh, I enjoyed watching this and talking about it with you. Um, what are we going to be talking about next episode, Alex? Uh, next episode, we will be talking about Shoplifters, um, a, a, a film that very recently um, had been nominated for uh, Best Foreign Films, uh, Best Foreign Film at the uh, the Academy Awards. Um, and uh, to help us with this with this review is Zach from the One Piece Podcast. So um, please look forward to that. Uh, I have seen Shoplifters before. I rather liked it. Uh, so I'm excited to watch it again. Yeah, um, I vaguely remember us three all texting each other after seeing this and being like, we got to do an episode on this. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad that we are. And it's going to be fun to do an episode with Zach uh, for sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. Ex- excited to talk about it in depth since we didn't actually talk about it at all because we didn't want to burn cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I should mention that um, that it's on Hulu. So if anybody wants who is listening wants to watch it before the episode drops, then uh, it, you can very much watch it. It's pretty available. Yep, it's on Hulu and it's available to rent elsewhere if you don't uh, have Hulu. So yep. um, yeah. So Alex, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at dude exclamation. It's all one word. Uh, you can listen to me every week on the aforementioned One Piece podcast. You can occasionally see me every Saturday. Um, or some Saturdays, but they do it every Saturday on twitch.tv slash superartfight doing some live art stuff. It's a lot of fun. And um, follow at Weeb Simpsons on Twitter. I've been updating it again lately because uh, what else are we going to do in this time of quarantine? <laughs> I'm always happy to see a Weeb Simpsons post. Um, and if I don't catch it the first time around, someone will retweet it and it'll pop up in my <laughs> timeline eventually. Um, v, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Riskachat, as always. Uh, not a lot going on. Everybody rest up. Get ready to keep fighting good fights. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. I'm really tired. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. 
Um, and I'm at Joey Weiser on Twitter and Joey Weiser Comics on Instagram. Uh, check that out to see uh, examples of my work. I'm a cartoonist and the author of the Merman graphic novel series as well as Ghost Hog. Um, keep an eye out. Uh, I might be starting to make announcements over the next few months about my next book because uh, I'm Ooh. wrapping that up pretty soon. Um, but in the meantime, I'm publishing new comics uh, online uh, called Dino Town. You can follow at Dino Town Comic on uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. And um, as for the podcast, uh, you can follow us on at O <laughs> at uh, Toho Yaro <laughs> on Twitter and uh, message us on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page there that we don't update all the time because we don't seem to like get a ton of responses, but we've got a few people who've messaged us through there. And if you need to get in touch with us and that's how you prefer to get in touch with us, go ahead and send us a message uh, through Facebook or email us to Yaro at gmail.com. Uh, we're always open to hearing suggestions about the show and uh, movies that you'd like us to cover. We've got a list that's always growing and it's nice to dig through that and see what people want us to cover. Um, and uh, maybe if you have some guests that you'd like us uh, to hear on the show, uh, suggest uh, that to us as well. Um, and uh, then, yeah, and also uh, subscribe, rate, and review because podcasts love that kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> check us out next episode for Shoplifters with Zach.